And let's stand for the reading of God's word. Second Peter chapter 3, what I'd like to do, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 15, and don't groan at that because you're here for the Bible, amen? amen. So don't, don't check out when we turn to the Bible, check in if you haven't been paying attention up until now. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read most of the verses, but occasionally I'll come to a verse and I'll say, let's read this verse together, and then you all jump in. Uh, and read as we do, pausing briefly at the punctuation marks. So follow along and pay attention and watch for my instruction. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 15, and I'll read and then explain to you which verses I want you to join me on. The Word of God says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And read with me verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they're willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Read with me verses <clears throat> 7 through 9. Ready? But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Read with me verse 12. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. In verse 15 together, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now just in all of these verses. They shock the mind. They rattle our understanding. And we ask you to give us divine wisdom spiritual understanding into these things. We pray the Spirit of God will be our teacher and that each person would hear and understand thy word and be able to apply these things to current events and the things which are to come. 
And so I ask you to give me the words that you'd have me say and give us ears to hear and help our lives be different because of what we've heard today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're continuing our October special series, What the Bible Says About Strange Things. And so the topic for this morning is what the Bible says about global warming and climate change. We hear about global warming every week, don't we? Just depending on who you listen to every day. Uh, We hear about climate change all the time. And a lot of people who don't have a biblical reference, they don't believe God, they turn to the priests of atheism who are the scientists and the specialists. you got to understand, as we say often here, atheism is a religion. And they have preachers and priests and rabbis, and they are called scientists and specialists and experts. And so the average person who doesn't believe in God looks to these purported experts with almost a, a spiritual reverence with almost an unusual humility. Tell us what to know. Tell us what is. Tell us what to believe. Now, the difference between the Bible way and the worldly way is we know that God's never wrong. God's never been wrong. The Bible is infallible. But can people be wrong? Often. Have you ever known an expert to be wrong? Sure. Does science ever change? Constantly. Matter of fact, what's so funny is when it comes to climate change, they say things like the science is settled. When one thing, if if you know anything about science, you know that science is literally never settled. (laughs) It is the, the search, the questioning, the hypotheses and the the investigation that lead to new knowledge. Think about any area of science. If a hundred years ago they would have said this area of science is settled. You think we've learned anything in the last hundred years? And so you want to do a scary research, do a history of uh, research the history of psychiatry and psychology. I said, that'll scare you. The things that they used to say, the things that they used to do. And that's just one branch. You can do that with almost every branch. For many years, for hundreds of years, the best, supposedly brightest minds in the world thought the earth was flat. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that the earth is round. Think about that. This book is so correct scientifically, it's astounding. We could take uh, the entire rest of our time and just go through uh, principle after principle, discovery after discovery that mankind came to that had been in the Bible all along. The idea of washing your hands under running water, you know, that changed the world. It literally changed the world when people said, we ought to wash our hands under under running water. The best scientists of the time, just a few hundred years ago, they would do a surgery and wash their hands in a, a bowl. They would do another surgery, wash their hands in the same bowl, do another surgery, wash their hands in the same bowl. And a lot of people were dying. And somebody said, maybe we should wash our hands under running water. And maybe we should use this thing called Soap. You know, way back thousands of years ago in the Old Testament, God told the Israelites, wash your hands under running water. Don't eat dead things. You come across the, you're traveling along, you see something dead, don't eat it. You know, that's a pretty good piece of advice. You know why he said that? Because people would come along and say, oh, there's something dead. Here's dinner tonight. They would get sick. This book is one of the biggest lies that the world has gotten people to believe, even Christians, is that this book is unscientific. When the truth is, this is the most reliable book on the planet in every single 
category you can imagine. And if you think it's not, it's probably because of your or my lack of understanding, not because the Bible's wrong. And we see this when it comes to this concept of of climate change and global warming. You know, I remember back when it was called global warming. How do you remember that? Why is it called climate change now? Well, because it stopped getting so warm. And they had a few years where they, they got everybody worried about global warming, and then we had a couple really cold years. And everybody said, hey, I thought we were all going to boil and die. Why is it so freezing cold? And they said, well, this is actually part of global warming. Is it getting colder? And so we're going to call it climate change instead. Interesting. Think about this. People fear death and destruction. Would you agree with that just as a general rule? Christians don't want to die, but we don't fear death the way that non-Christians do. A non-Christian is told, you're here for no reason. You're an accident. When you die, you're gone. Nothing matters. You remember nothing. So you will do almost anything to stay alive because you have this overriding, incredible fear of death. Christians believe that we have a creator. He decided that he wanted me to be. My life has meaning and purpose. I'm special. I'm made in the image of God. And one of these days when this life is over, there is an eternity waiting Well, I will still exist. And since I've trusted Christ, I get to go to this beautiful place called heaven. No sorrow, sickness, disease, sadness, sin. So although Christians don't want to die, it's like most Christians aren't like wanting to take the next train to heaven. Neither do they fear death above all else. Let me say something that might shock some of you. There are things worse than death. There are things Worse than death. Christians tend to believe that. Non-Christians tend not to believe that. Because the worst thing that could happen to you is to stop existing. And because of that, they will do almost anything to preserve their existence. And because of that, this gives the devil a lever to pull. This overriding fear gives the devil a button to push, a button of control. Have you noticed that there are bad people in the world that are willing to scare you into doing what they want you to do? Have you noticed that? I mean, it's become very, it's always been that way, but it's become very apparent in the last 10, 15 years or so. And one reason why we saw COVID, although it affected some people very seriously, there were a lot of people that weren't affected by it greatly at all. But as you see America become less and less godly and God-fearing, Americans fear more and more other things. I've had the privilege to be able to help some people with phobias Fear of germs, fear of insects, fear of death, fear of this, fear of leaving the house, fear of abandonment. And you know, what you learn very quickly when you study the Bible and when you work with people is if you fear God, then all your other fears kind of come into balance. There are things you should be afraid of. I don't want to get bit by a brown recluse spider, (laughs) right? So if I see a spider, I might be like, hey. Keep my distance. I don't want to get bit by a venomous snake. But I fear God more. Watch this. When you fear God, as the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All your other fears come into balance because you know ultimately God's in control. But watch what happens. When you don't fear God... You begin to fear other things in an unusual way. 
And these fears, these phobias can grip you and change your life and follow you around and haunt you. And what we're seeing in America and, yea, in the world is as people fear God less, they're fearing other things more. Fear and anxiety is going up at a, an unprecedented level. Many, many Americans are on antidepressants and medications and such because of, of anxieties and fears. And this is a worldwide issue. And I believe you can trace it in part to the less we fear and trust God, the more we fear and distrust everything else. Because people are more fearful it gives the devil more buttons to push. Are you following me? It gives the devil more levers to pull. And there is an alarmism in the world that they, certain groups of people always want you to be on edge. They always want you to be fearful. You ever watch the news and it's like, it used to be, some of you aren't old enough to remember this, it used to be, if there was ever a banner that said, breaking news, it was a big deal. I mean, this is like, stop your world, find out what's going on. But if you watch the news lately, at the top of every hour, red banners, breaking news. The news cycle has a vested interest in keeping the population concerned and worried and alarmed because you tend to watch the news more when you're concerned about what's going to happen. Isn't that interesting? In addition, there are bad people in the world that have been trying to change the world for a long time. And they'll tell you, we want to fundamentally change the world. President Barack Obama said, I want to fundamentally change America. And in some not very good ways, he started the ball rolling. You have people, they use terms like the New World Order. That wasn't our term. That was their term. And nowadays, if you say that, certain people look at you like, oh, you're one of those. No, this is a this is a term they created, came up with, told you what it meant, and we're not supposed to pay attention. They use terms like the Great Reset. It wasn't our term. That's their term. So there are bad people in the world who are trying to change the world to benefit themselves and give power to control, power and control to smaller and smaller groups of people, and they have found out that fear is a great motivator. As people get more fearful, they become more controllable. This is why tyrants always try to get rid of Christians in a country when they take over. Because for a committed Christian, there's always someone they fear more than the tyrant. I'm not talking about, oh no, God's going to kill me and hurt me. I'm talking about a reverential respect and yes, a fear. If I cross him, God's got a big stick. He can, he can bring things back into order but it's also a reverence like someone has for a father. Daddy's a lot bigger and more powerful than me, but he's got my best interests at heart. Right? So for a Christian people, they will never fully give in to tyrants. They're the ones like in the book of Daniel, when everybody else bows, the three Hebrew children stand up and say, we're not going to bow to that idol. They're the ones like Daniel who said, they passed a law specifically for Daniel. You can't pray to any god except the king for, for so many days. And Daniel said, I'm sorry, I'm still going to pray. And that's the type of steel, that's the kind of confidence and courage that tyranny hates because it's uncontrollable. I'm seeking the Lord about how deeply to go into this, but let me just say communism. One of the tenets of communism is make the people godless. Why is that? Because a godless people are easier to control. So I think a lot of these things are self-evident. But I wanted to set a stage 
For us to see a lot of the alarmism, I was going to bring in headlines and articles and facts and all these kinds of things. There are people that literally believe that if you, don't, if you don't stop filling up your gas tank at the local gas station, that we're all going to be gone in less than 12 years. There are people that literally think, now I grew up in the country, there are people that literally think that cow flatulence are going to destroy the world. Cow gas. I lived in the country around a lot of cows. I don't remember ever one time even noticing that a cow had gas. I mean, it's like not something that you even ever think about. The only person who ever taught me about cow flatulence was some weirdo with a lot of degrees trying to scare me into eating things that look like meat that are not meat. And by the way, your fake meat is worse for the environment than real meat. It's also worse for your health. Look into how they process that stuff one of these days. It's shocking. You, don't, you won't eat a hot dog? I'd rather eat a real hot dog because at least it's got real gross stuff in it rather than fake gross stuff. <laughs> and sausage, praise God, that, that just tastes good. I don't care what is, what's in it. Remember this, people see destruction through their frame of reference. So if you get scared, you're going to see whatever destruction you feel like is going to come to you through your frame of reference. Think about this when it comes to specialists. Astronomers believe that a killer asteroid is going to kill the world. Or the sun's going to have a mega flare and fry us all. That's their frame of reference. Biologists are concerned about all the crazy diseases. And by the way, there are diseases that if you get them, you're a goner. It can be scary stuff. Virologists believe that a deadly killer virus is going to wipe out the planet. That's their frame of reference. A chemist looks at all the chemicals and, and, and worries about all these deadly chemicals we're creating that never go away. I mean, we're creating chemicals that have half-lives of a thousand years, and they just never decompose. Socialists look at the overpopulation of the world. Overpopulation is going to kill us. We need less people. When I'd, be, I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. The real problem is not overpopulation. The real concern is underpopulation. And if you believe overpopulation is going to destroy the earth, what I'd like you to do is just get a globe and calculate how much room an individual needs to live, times that by all the people in the world, and put them on the globe. And you'd be going, wow, there's a lot of room left. There's a lot of room left. Well, what about water? There's a lot of water on the planet. Earth is 70% water, but it's salt water. It's cheaper to take the salt out than you think. What about food? We're throwing away food. America makes so much corn, they're actually turning it into fuel that your car can run on instead of taking the fuel out of the earth that already exists. It's, it's the, what happens is, because we get these weird constructs and these fears come into place, we try to impose these rules that may someday work, but it's way too early. I'm not against solar energy, but it doesn't take a, a rocket science to look at the fact of how to store energy in different parts of the, the planet and things like that. It's not viable for the planet. Wind energy, look into how much oil and plastics that are made from oil are required to build a wind turbine plus the environmental footprint plus I get tired of seeing big windmills not turning. Anybody else ever notice that? How often they're just sitting there? I think someday that could be a viable thing. We're not ready for that yet. But what happens is the alarmism Let's take your vehicles. Let's get you off this. Let's make you poor and, and uh, uncomfortable and weak. Why? Because it 
offers more and more power. Now, there's a lot we could say about that. For some of you listening to this, you're like, wow, this guy's a kook. But one thing about kooks is we like facts, typically, not all kooks, my kind of kook. We like facts. And facts are inconvenient things. If your position cannot stand up to honest questions, then you're not in a very good place. So have a conversation with someone. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Here's the overriding theme. People are trying to scare you into following their will and their plan instead of the plan of God. And climate change is just one of their gambits. There is climate change going to happen, and you should be scared of it. But it's not going to be caused by cow flatulence or because you drive a truck or because you eat meat. It's going to be caused by the will of God. And let me tell you, there's on this what the Bible says about climate change and global warming. There's two kinds of destroying fire that you have to be careful of in the Bible, and you should be fearful of. And let me give you these two, and we'll go to the baptism and get some food. Number one, there's nuclear fire. You know, the Bible written 2,000 years ago, in some parts 3,000 years ago, described nuclear destruction. And when these words were written, it's like, how, how is that even possible? How can this happen? The Bible describes glowing arrows falling from the sky. I wonder what that could be. The Bible describes a destroying wind that these glowing arrows are going to cause a destroying wind that's going to create unbelievable, unimaginable devastation. Interesting. We don't have time to look at all those verses. Uh, but let me show you. Look at Revelation chapter 18. We'll just look at one chapter under this point. Here's one reason why you don't have to be scared about the end times is because God already told you how it's going to end. If you read the book of Revelation, you notice a few things. First of all, there's thriving people and cultures. The end is not going to be some post-apocalyptic situation. What's going to happen is the world's going to be going on just like it is now. And boom, everything's going to change. And it's not going to be Skynet or AI robots. AI might play a part. It's interesting. The book of Revelation makes room for that. I don't have time to get into that today. Uh, but thriving populations, look, it's overcrowding isn't going to kill the planet. We know that because the Bible says so. Let me give you this tidbit. When everything ends in the book of Revelation... The Bible doesn't give any idea that there's any lack of fuel. No lack of, whether it's fossil fuels or whatever, we see, we see thriving cultures and populations. That's what Jesus said, just like in the days of Noah. People will live and have families and get married and all these things. They're going to eat, drink, and be merry. Life's going to be going along as it is. Don't, don't fall for this stuff that we're all going to burn up because of an ozone layer. When I was a kid, it was the ozone layer. Anybody remember that? Amen. I mean, it was like the ozone layer is going to fry us. Your hairspray is destroying the planet. And my sister, I mean, it was the 80s. My sister had hair. I mean, double fisting it. And just getting that hair up there. Some of you remember the 80s. Days of big hair. <laughs> they had us scared to death. I'm talking fifth grade, sixth grade. The ozone's going to keep shrinking, and you're going to fry like in a microwave oven. Amen. It's no different than what they're telling the kids today. And these kids believe what they're told. We're going to die. That's why Greta Thunberg, a, 
a poor troubled young lady gets up and tells her parents and tells the world, you're killing us. You're taking our future. She believes it. Just like a lot of other people. When in the end times, there's going to be plenty of fuel. There's going to be plenty of natural resources. There's going to be a thriving people and culture. And the wrath of God is finally going to come like he's been promising the whole time. Look at Revelation chapter 18. I want to quickly, I want you to follow along. This is a fascinating chapter. Let me read through some of it with you. This is a city called Babylon. It's not Babylon that would old Babylon on the map. It's a city named Babylon because it, of its sin and degradation and how it has destroyed, uh, played a part in destroying the world. Look at Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. So imagine this angel just coming. You see out of the corner of your eye, the sky just get bright. And by the way, during the end times revelation stuff, it's very obvious there's a God, there's a devil, there's armies warring. The spiritual veil has been pulled back. People know what's going on. And you see this angel coming out of the sky, this glowing angel. And then verse 2, and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and have committed, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So this is a city that had great power, great influence among other nations, uh, great uh, financial wealth, and people would run there and, and, and to take care of the financial wealth and take part of that. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath numbered her iniquities. So we see the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. There's a trumpet that says, Come up hither. Uh, the church is mentioned 18 times in Revelation chapter 1 through 3, and it's not mentioned again until you see it in heaven after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. So we see the rapture take place, but all throughout the book of Revelation, there's people getting saved. God in His grace, even at the end, is showing His mercy. The 144,000 preachers called out of the 12 tribes of, of Israel going around the world preaching the gospel. The two witnesses with supernatural powers showing the world the representatives of God, showing the world that God is stronger than the Antichrist and the beast and, and the false prophet and the devil. And so uh, all of this is happening, and many people are getting saved during this, this great tribulation. And God sends another angel and says, if you belong to me, you better get out of this city, just like he did with Lot going to Sodom and Gomorrah, taking them out of the city before the wrath fell. Look at verse 7, how much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she, she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in what? One day. What plagues? Death and mourning and famine. And she shall be utterly what? Burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who have committed fornication have lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in what? One hour is thy judgment come. This is a city, a magnificent, powerful city, where the whole city is leveled in less than an hour. This is a city where the people who are concerned about her can't go near the destruction because of the torment. Perhaps we could infer radiation that's in there. They know that it's death to go into even the destroyed city. Look at verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore, the merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, and of fine linen, purple, and silk, and scarlet, 
and of thine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and uh, manner of vessels most precious wood and of brass and of iron and marble and skip down to verse 14. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all the things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. This city is dead. It's gone. It will never be revived. Verse 15, thy merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Again, they can't get close. Look at verse 17, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught. Again, it says at the end, far off. Verse 18, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning. There's nothing quite as dramatic as a mushroom cloud. Just has this innate terror in it. And these people saw the smoke of her burning, concerned about the torment, the complete and utter destruction in one the end of verse 19, for in one hour she is made desolate. Folks, this is the wrath of God coming. Now let me explain something to you about the wrath of God. God is patient, but when His wrath falls, it falls swiftly and severely. So you might be saying, what's God doing? Where is God? Is God even in control? Where is He? What is it? God said, just wait, son. Just wait, daughter. I'm trying to give people time to get saved, but because whenever I give the world the wrath it has earned, it will be shocking. Shocking. And what's sad is the people who God is going to have to give this wrath are the very ones who are mocking him for not keeping his promise to return. There is a nuclear war coming. I don't know when it's coming. I believe that we will be out of here as Christians before nuclear war shakes the entire planet. That's comforting. may not mean that there could be something far off, there could be instances, and that would change the world as we know it. Well, that's something that we ought to be careful of. By the way, do you know of any Christians that want to use nuclear bombs? Do you know of any Christian group anywhere in the world that's trying to kill people? Trying to take over countries that threaten to kill you, murder you, imprison you if you don't accept their religion? Folks, we just have to be very honest about the philosophies and religions that are causing the problem and the ones who aren't the problem. Why is it in America that a lot of elites think that we are the problem. The Bible says there's going to come a day when good will be seen as bad and bad will be seen as good. Are we not living in that day? Now let's turn back to 2 Peter chapter 3 as we finish up. I'll just point out a couple final thoughts. So we see a nuclear fire, number one, and then we see a consuming fire is the second type of global warming you have to be prepared for and fearful of. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Maybe a couple final thoughts quickly. We see in verses 3 through 6 that scoffers mock God's word and the promise of Christ's return. Look at it. Knowing this first, so God's preparing his people for the end times. He's saying that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. By the way, when people don't believe in God, it's usually because whether consciously or subconsciously, they understand if there is a God, he has some control in his life and they're accountable to him. It's very convenient to not believe in an almighty God when you want to do what you want to do. And the lust of man is the reason a lot of people are willing to disregard even the possibility of God's existence because 
they want to walk in their own lusts. Verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Have you ever heard that? Jesus said he's coming 2,000 years ago. He said he's going to come. Where is he? Where is he, huh? The Bible's not true, is it? You still believe the Bible? Where is Jesus? And the very grace of God that's keeping them out of hell at that moment, they are mocking and scoffing the grace and mercy of God. It goes on to say that they're willingly ignorant. They deny things like the flood happened. They believe in something called uniformitarianism. They look at the world today and they say the world has always functioned this way in eons past. And the Bible says that's not true. There have been supernatural events that God has allowed to happen like the flood that would skew all of their studies and evidences. That's why any semblance of the geographic column, the geological column, only exists two places in the world. And it's not a full geological column. It's like anything even close to what you see in the history books. The problem is that in one of them, there's a tree standing straight up through hundreds of millions of years of layers. This is a problem. See, most people don't know the geological column doesn't exist as it's taught. Oh, this is from the Jurassic period. This is from the Paleo-Mumbolic period. And, and oh, how do you know that? We found this fossil. How do you know how old the fossil is? We found it in this soil. And how do, you know how, how do you know how old the soil is? We found this fossil. How do you know how old the fossil is? We found it in this soil. And then we carbon dated it. Do you know a pickle can petrify in less than 50 years in the right conditions? Do you know they carbon dated a pickle? A petrified pickle that was found out west in the desert that was in a pickle jar that had broken. They carbon dated it and they said it was so many thousands of years old. Well, I didn't know Velastic was been around that long. That's, uh, that's some good pickles. A lot of heritage, the cavemen eating the pickles. And uh, what do you want for dinner? Oh, 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 oh I want Velastic. <laughs> Crazy. So I am mocking a little bit, but they mock the Son of God. They mock the Bible. They mock God's Word. They mock uh, God's judgment in the flood. Number two, we see that in verse 7 that mockers fail to see the impending doom of the world. Look, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Here's what's so fascinating. They reject the, the judgment that the Holy Word of God says will happen, and they try to convince us that cow flatulence are killing the earth. Which one am I going to believe? You eating a hamburger is destroying the world. You stopping by Northups and filling up your car, or, or uh, all of this stuff is killing the world. They're willingly ignorant. They deny God's word and then grasp for these other things, trying to create alarm. We see in verses 8 through 10 that scoffers don't understand that only the mercy of God withholds their judgment. Look at verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. What's he saying? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus promised to return. God doesn't experience time like we do. It hasn't been 2,000 years to God. It's been roughly two days. That's, the Bible's just trying to say, listen, don't hold God to your watch. Don't hold God to your calendar. He's not on your schedule. You're on His. Just because He's not come back yet doesn't mean He's late. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack or lazy concerning His promise. What's that? The promise to come back, the promise of salvation, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance or salvation through faith in Christ. The reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet uh, is to allow more time for people to get saved. Let me tell you, if you're here this morning, you're not saved. If you're watching online and you're not saved, the only reason you still have existence, you still have breath in your lungs, the only reason that Jesus hasn't called it quits on everything and just brought us all into eternity is because he's giving you one more opportunity to get saved. One more day. One more hour. One more moment. 
And yet we say, well, where is he? He's waiting on you. But one of these days, the clock's going to run out, and he's going to say, everybody didn't trust me? Now I'm going to have to do exactly what I told you I was going to do. And it's going to be shock and awe. You understand in one of the plagues of the, new, of the book of Revelation, a quarter of the planet dies. Right now with 8 billion people, that's 2 billion people gone. Of course, the Christians will be out by then. In another, in another one plague, one-third of the planet dies. If there's 8 billion people and a quarter die, now there's 6 billion. If a third of those die, that's 2 more billion people. Half of the world's population is going to be gone in two plagues. You say, well, I don't agree that God should do that. You have no idea what God has put up with for thousands of years waiting on humanity, sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross, offering salvation to all who will believe, waiting day after day, month after month, year after year, century after century for people to get saved. And He's warned the earth. He sent preachers. He started churches. He's, he's put this word in your ear today. And yet you still say, no, 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 no. And one of these days when it comes... going to be shocking. Far worse than we can imagine. Now look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We just say a word about that. This idea that elements shall melt Colossians chapter 1, we won't take time to turn to it, but Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 said that Jesus created everything and by Him all things consist. Scientists will tell you that there is an unknown force in the universe holding things together. They call it the God particle, or sometimes they call it the Boson-Higgs particle, or sometimes they call it dark matter. There's this unseen force in the world holding things together. There's a magnetic charge on every atom. Why, why, do, why does everything just spin out of control, just dissolve and spin into nothingness? Because there's some unseen hand holding it all together. And Colossians 1.17 says that unseen hand is Jesus. The Bible says, by Him all things consist or they're held together. And I believe in this last day when the earth is going to burn up with fervent heat, the God who's holding everything together, all He has to do is release His grasp and everything on an elemental level, at an atomic level, everything spins out of control and ignites and dissolves. This is the type of destruction we're talking about. But the, thank God the Bible says we'll get a new heaven and a new earth. Verses 11 through 14 tell us impending doom. And the promise of heaven should cause believers to live holy and godly lives. And you can read that in verses 11 through 14. Let me say lastly that the only way to process this information with the fear of God, this is scary stuff. There are things you should be scared of, and this is one of them. This is no joke. You say, how do I process this without keeping me up at night? You trust Jesus. Trust Jesus as your Savior. So remember, whenever you don't fear God, you fear all these other things. But whenever you fear God, God, I know who you are. I know what you can do. You will do what you said, but I know you love me. You sent your son to die for me. I choose now to trust you as my Savior. Then all those other fears go away. And I'm not scared of this moment for me. I'm scared of this moment for all the lost. And from now on, anytime you hear someone talk about global warming, I want you to picture this scene in your mind. Because this is the type of global warming that people need to be wary of. They might be right about one thing. They might be right that we have less than 12 years. Because Jesus could come back any day. He could pull the plug any minute. Pull his Christians out and start the seven-year clock. The only reason he's not doing it yet is so that one more person can get saved. One more person can get born again. One of these days, the last person who ever gets saved in this age is going to say, dear Jesus, 
please forgive me. I believe in you. And God's going to say, that's everybody. Amen. We're done. The only reason why God waits is because of more people get saved. You say, preacher, when's this going to happen? It could happen today, but there's one hope. I believe right now, and I say it often, the world is coming to a crisis, and God's either going to pull the plug and start the clock on the, the tribulation, or God's going to send a revival. Every great revival in history have come in dark days when people were scared, when they were fearful, and a multitude of people turned back to God. So I encourage you, would you be one of the ones that turn back to God? If you're saved, would you, like the Bible says here, Lord, there's no time to mess around. I give you my life. I give you my heart. You tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Who should I talk to? Who should I witness to? What role should I play in, in the, the church ministries? We give our hearts to God, and we trust God with everything else. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time that we were able to chat today. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us feel the sobriety of the moment. This is no joke. Serious stuff, world-ending, eternity-altering. I pray if there's someone under the sound of my voice in this room or watching online or listening later that they would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, may they understand that that uneasiness they feel is not my fault. It's the Holy Spirit trying to get their attention that agitation, that frustration. And it all goes away when they surrender to you in sweet faith. And you can replace that agitation and conviction with peace and joy. I pray you'd help us be a mouthpiece to the world and all this craziness and how we're going to be able to affect the world and calm other people and help them understand your plan, point people to you. One of these days, the Antichrist is going to come and present himself as a political savior. A lot of people are going to accept him who rejected you. I pray you'd give us wisdom. Speak to each heart. Our heads about our eyes are closed. In just a moment, we'll have an invitation. We have a time of reflection and response at the end of each service. How'd the Lord speak to your heart today? If you're not sure you're saved, we want to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure. In just a moment, we're going to stand. piano will play. As soon as that first note plays, step out of the aisle, come down front. I'll meet you and we'll show you what it means to trust Jesus.